Welcome to the Film Illiterates Podcast, your home for uninformed, unfiltered, ill-advised movie talk. As always, I am Joe Campbell, and joining me today, as always, are Alex Patton. Hello again. And Nathan Stone. Greetings, everybody. So this week, we decided to do another pick a flick. It was Nathan's turn to pick a movie, and he decided to have us watch a little anime film made back in 2006 called Paprika. Paprika. Uh, how he came to this choice, I have no idea. I'll let him explain himself. Nathan, why are we watching Paprika this week? All right. Well, as we're recording this, uh, movie theaters are finally opening up again this weekend uh, to screen Christopher Nolan's latest mind-bending thriller, Tenant. So, you know, I kind of thought, you know, why it be nice to kind of like look back on, you know, the movie that really inspired me with Christopher Nolan, Inception. But instead of watching that movie... Why not watch the movie that everyone says is the source of inspiration that he kind of pretty much stole from, which was Paprika, uh, basically this crazy mind-bending anime film directed and animated by uh, Satoshi Kon. Although it's still recognized as a Japanese animation masterpiece, this movie covers a lot of the same ground that Inception does. Everything from the ideas of dream sharing, technology, and blending the fine line between fantasy and reality. So I thought, hey, let's watch this and see if there's a common link between the two films and which one did a better job at telling a better story. So as of this recording, I think Tenet has technically been released for about a week. Is that right? Uh, Yeah, in some places. I think it's actually kind of like widening its release. I know at least in San Diego. It's finally opening in theaters. So okay. okay, that's what I'm wondering. So, so you haven't seen it yet, but it's 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 going to be opening soon if it's not already in your area. Is that right, Nate? Yeah, I think I've actually already booked my ticket to see it the tomorrow. So I'm actually pumped and excited for that, as opposed to like driving all the way to Vegas, which was going to be my next plan. Okay, because oh, yeah. <laughs> Because my, I, I, so all, all the theaters, I live up near Seattle and all of the indoor theaters around me are all closed still, mm-hmm. right, right, right now. It's but, just drive-in theaters right now, correct? Correct. So I've got a drive-in theater about, uh, about 45 minutes away from where I live. And I, I've been going there regularly, but unfortunately Warner Brothers is, Warner Brothers is not releasing Tenet at, in drive-in theaters in areas where the indoor theaters are also not open. It's been a very interesting battle. I, I know like Chris Nolan's been fighting to get the theaters open again just to show this movie. Yeah, like, but it's incredibly frustrating because I can't watch Tenet. <laughs> I know. Even though there's a theater nearby me. I mean, honestly, if we decide to get our device, uh, this device, the DC Mini, and just hack into each other's dreams, I can just replay what I see to you, Joe. So somehow that'll work. I, I, I predict that Tenet's going to be a very highly pirated movie, unfortunately, because oh, I would love to see sure. this in a theater. But uh, yeah, yeah, I expect to see that movie all over the web. If it isn't already, I would be shocked. Hey, but we're not here to talk about Chris Nolan. We're here to talk about Paprika. (laughs) Anyway, before we get into our Paprika talk, I don't know why I have to call it. Why do you say it like that? I need to say it like that. It's just, I don't know, the title. It's a very exclamatory title. Uh, let's talk about what we've all watched on our own recently. Nathan, what have you been watching? All righty. Well, um, so for me, I've been watching a lot, but specifically for this week, I decided to actually watch a movie which everyone has been saying, oh my gosh, you got to watch this. And I kind of finally got around to it. And that is Uncut Gems, the um, Safdie Brothers film starring Adam Sandler. With his debts mounting and angry collectors closing in, a fast-talking New York City jeweler risks everything in hope of staying afloat and alive. So 
Um, guys, have you seen the other Safdie brothers uh, film, Good Time, the one with Robert Pattinson and his brother kind of like pulling off a high stand? Oh, no, I haven't. Um, that okay. one piqued my interest, though, because yeah. the uh, soundtrack was done by Daniel Lapatin. It's a cool right. Artist. I've heard really good things about it, but I haven't gotten around to it yet. Yeah, so I finally decided to get around to this just because um, the Zafdi brothers are kind of like, they're getting like a lot of claim for like these two indie filmmakers who work with big names and pull off performances you would never expect. Like I think uh, Good Time is probably one of, I'd say, Robert Pattinson's best acting anyone's ever seen him in any movie. Same thing here with Adam Sandler. A lot of people have said he's really good in this movie. My opinion, he's okay. I mean, I keep forgetting he is a good actor and he can pull off a good performance when he's given a good director or a good script. But it's kind of funny. Everyone has compared this movie, Uncut Gems, to pretty much any other Adam Sandler comedy. It's just take out the whole uh, um, Happy Madison comedy aspect and just have uh, thugs and uh, mafia guys coming around and punching him in the mouth and throwing him in a trunk and dangling him out of a window. It's kind of a... An interesting movie just because like you see what he's doing and he's a scumbag like he's a the worst scumbag you can ever imagine but uh it's it rides on this kind of uh escalation all the way through once he starts making these bad calls it never stops all the way to the very end so yeah if you guys are interested check it out i believe it's available on netflix um but yeah it's a very stress inducing movie yeah, uh, it is. It definitely it is. Uh, but there's some I can't deny there are some funny parts in it. Like if you look past the whole like griminess or the grittiness of it, it's kind of funny just seeing Adam Sandler being this dumbass, just like, you know, making bad call after bad call after bad call and him getting shitted on for it. It's great. Okay, other than that, I actually just recently subscribed to the Criterion channel. Um, so Joe, I know you're a big Criterion collection fan. You have a lot of their blu-rays um so they have their own channel so i actually subscribed to that and kind of have been making little discoveries here and there i haven't like watched any movies like all the way through yet but a couple of finds i found one of them was uh larissa sepko who is a soviet union director um she's actually one of the most highest acclaimed uh, i guess soviet union directors that existed but she's only made two films one called Wings and one called The Ascent before tragically dying in a car crash to, you know, when she was like scouting uh, locations for her third film. But I was watching some of her stuff in this documentary on her and uh, I'm kind of surprised for just having only two films under her name. It's actually impressive to watch. Um, so if anyone is the right Criterion channel right now, I recommend checking out some of her stuff. And kind of in light for, since we're doing an animated film tonight, uh, Crichton Channel is uh, also spotlighting uh, Bill Plimpton, who, if anyone's not familiar with him, he is a American animator whose style is kind of very similar to the far side, but very wacky and very abstract and very rudimentary when it comes to just humor and just kind of crude as well. Um, I was like watching some of his stuff uh, especially, I guess, this, these two films he got nominated Oscars for called Your Face and Guard Dog. And it is it is kind of just really rough to watch. The humor might be a hit or miss, but this is like a guy who just basically is just pencil drawing every little thing. And he's changing angles and dimensions. It's very hard to watch sometimes. 
And even just how surreal it gets is kind of, eh, I don't know. It, it wasn't really my cup of tea, but he's just one of those guys that I guess appeals to some people. So yeah, those are two finds I found on the Criterion channel. So guys have that or think about subscribing to that, check them out before the uh, month of September gets any uh, further into it. Uh, and that's it. I do not use the Criterion channel as much as I should. I, I, I am subscribed to it. Uh, but sadly to say, I don't think I've watched anything on it probably in the past month. So I really need to get back on that. Yeah. You got to be in a certain mood to watch Criterion movies. It's like, you know, you really have to be in that artsy pretentious mood. And right now, you know, if Bill Plimpton is one of those guys that they're highlighting and it's supposed to be humorous, I'm like, eh, all right. I'd, I'd rather watch Adam Sandler get his face beaded in. Right now you can, if you got seven hours to kill, you can watch Satin Tango on there now. <laughs> Seven, seven hours. hours seven hour movie i watched oh. it like a month or two ago guys jesus how how long did that take like uh, like seven two hours. months it took like oh, a i week. mean it took like a week yeah. to get through it oh, i mean a week i mean that would have taken me a whole month to just to get through jeez uh alex what you got all right so while i was still furloughed i i set a goal for myself to finally watch one of the anime series that i've been meaning to get to for a long time mm-hmm. and I actually watched it. So I finally watched Neon Genesis Evangelion. Great anime. I need to watch this. Holy shit. Yeah, it's um, it goes places. (laughs) Yeah. No kidding. Like I loved it, but I don't understand it. (laughs) No, it is way beyond I think anyone's comprehension, but just some of the moments it pulls it's like gosh this is a weird buttload of fields but this is just messed up as well like it really crawls in your skin in a bad way oh yeah yeah it just it really just like it just worms itself in there it's so it's so weird like but the thing is that doesn't like come until like later in the series like once you build up all these characters this world that they're doing when that shit starts happening it's it's kind of creepy yeah an interesting fact about that is the director uh hideki anno in during production of it around midway point or so he received a book from his from a friend of his about like mental health and whatnot mm-hmm. and from that point like the whole series just come like completely changed really um, oh like yeah. do you th- you think it just like opened up a, a, a part of his mind that just like you know what let's take it this way oh yeah i mean if you i mean if you watch it you're, you'll notice that it goes from a lot, a little bit more action oriented, mm-hmm. um, in kind of like the first half of the of the series and whatnot, and then in the second half, it gets really psychological, mm-hmm. yeah, and just I... really fucks with your head. <laughs> it does, and I remember that point when that happened. It's like, well, this turned dark. Yeah, I love both kind of like aspects of it. You know, mm-hmm. the giant mech robots fighting each other is mm-hmm. great i love that i mean one of the series that really got me into anime in the first place was uh darling in the franks is, and people draw a lot of comparisons between that series and evangelion mm-hmm. um mostly making fun of of darling in the franks but i so I, I like the giant mech battles that's cool and then when it gets into like the really psychological stuff where it worms its way into your head and whatnot i I love that part too. It's so cool. It's so fascinating, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, no, it's definitely a, a classic for just any anime lovers out there. So. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, just just based on like how popular it still is, even though it was 
oh what was it was the 90s or the 2000s yeah mm-hmm. 90s yeah 95 yeah. 96 mm-hmm. just showing you how popular it still is today and how well loved it's just that that's kind of a testament of how great the actual series is is uh in itself nice yeah but i yeah i was super stoked i yeah i'm a big fan of it i watched the full i watched the full tv series and then the two movies one of them being just kind of like a wrap-up of the series and then the other being end of evangelion which was um if you thought the show was a mind trip oh boy you (laughs) haven't seen nothing yet because the movie itself is wild the only thing the only parts of the series that i haven't watched yet is the i think there was a rebirth or sorry rebuild which is just kind of like a reboot in a way I don't really know a whole lot about it. I haven't gotten the chance to watch it yet, but um, the last uh, installment of that, the final like film of the Rebuild series, just got released, finally. I think it only just got released in Japan, so we'll have to see if it makes its way to the US, and then I'll watch it. But yeah, I'm, re- I'm still excited to really check those out, too. Sweet. Yeah. But other than that, um, still keeping up on random anime stuff. I've uh, been kind of slow recently um but that's kind of all mostly due to the fact that i finally built my computer it's up and running sitting right next to me i mean honestly i was kind of noticing you do sound a little bit different this time around yes indeed i do have a new mic you sound sexier than usual absolutely alex oh Uh, yeah this might be our problem, Joe. Uh, Alex is too sexy now for this podcast. We might get flagged a little bit more. Joe's just going to be too turned on during the entire thing to concentrate. But yeah, I, I, be, I built the computer. I'm, I'm really stoked about that. I have to do a little bit of cable management, but once that's set, it's it's good to go, good to run. Um, and then I've been building keyboards, and so I've just been watching videos and videos on that and just trying to do research because it's taken me like, two months or so to finally get this thing like together and then actually up and running so still some tweaks but hey it plays video games and and that's what counts yeah that's that's what i wanted it for yeah (laughs) so it looks like uh alex has got some uh, it handyman skills so if anyone has a computer they need building call up this guy oh god please no Please yeah, we'll, we'll post his personal number in the, the description of this this podcast. His email, his address, so feel free to just stalk him and just go visit his, him whenever he wants only to. only fans. God, please, please do not call me to try to wire your computer because I will have another panic attack. Oh my God, I hate doing that. It's just a tangled hell of wires. And as long as it works, man. Ports. Yeah. Yeah. But it's yeah. like, you know, you just have now PTSD of just like, you know, every time I look into a motherboard, I will never see life the same way I've again. seen some shit. Yeah. <laughs> it was <laughs> like much, a war zone. Oh, God. That was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so I I recently, uh, and by recently, I mean within the past three months, I don't know, all, all this time is blending together. I uh, canceled my Netflix to get HBO Max because I am not a bottomless money pit and I need to pick and choose my streaming services. Uh, and so in, in addition to catching up on some of the shows that I've fallen behind on, such as Westworld and Silicon Valley, I've checked out a couple of the new shows that they've been releasing on HBO and HBO Max. 
So I watched the first three episodes of Lovecraft Country, which uh, at this point, that's all they have out, three episodes. The synopsis on IMDb just says, a young African-American travels across the U.S. in in the 1950s in search of his missing father. Um, That's an extremely simplistic and misleading uh, synopsis for this show. So this this is basically it's 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 inspired by, uh, I mean of course the the writings of H. P. Lovecraft, but among other things there there are inspirations tipping towards Edgar Rice Burroughs, the John Carter and Mars series, and just kind of pulp sci fi in general. This is about a guy who, yes, he travels across the the United States, especially the the South, and it's equal parts uh, this young black man facing off against supernatural entities kind of you know there's monsters there's ghosts in one of the episodes so far uh but also just against the the racism in early in the 1950s america and Mm -hmm. this show is wildly entertaining so far it's it's also it is hit and miss for me i love the first episode wasn't crazy about the second episode and i really enjoyed the third episode so i'm on board but it brings back something that I'm really looking forward to in that it's more episodic than a lot of TV shows that I feel like I see today. I feel like most TV shows you watch today really kind of drive home that we have to drive the narrative forward. We have to drive the narrative forward. And this show in the first episode opens up, you know, the the questions, what he's going to do, where he's going. He's going to travel to a, a, a mythical town out in the middle of nowhere where supposedly H.P. Lovecraft based all his, his, uh, supernatural shit on this you know fictional town that's actually real he's gonna go find his dad all of that is wrapped up in the second episode like the you can see people online talking about the second episode like it's a season finale and i get what they mean because because they really just like you know they introduce all the stakes and they wrap up everything it's he, he, you know he they they solve the mystery with his dad they, and everything with the town and all that kind of stuff so the second episode is just kind of a straight up haunted house story but you know it it is progressing from you know it picks up the pieces from the previous episode and they leave teases for what's coming next but i'm more interested in kind of the standalone elements i'm interested in oh this is a ghost movie with racism and they're fighting racism but you know with ghosts (laughs) involved too all right yeah (laughs) interesting i i forget who's like the creator of the show do you have his name on file uh, so on IMDb, it says Misha Green and Jordan Peele are the creators. I know J.J. Abrams is also involved. Uh, Bad yeah. Robot is, is is on there. The first episode does feel like a very J.J. Abrams-esque kind of thing, honestly. Yeah. No, no, I had to kind of feel like it was kind of dabbling into that. But the fact that Jordan Peele is kind of like one of the producers or the creative minds behind this to get it off the ground, it, it felt like it had his touch in it. So Yeah. The, the the effects are hit and miss. Some episodes they're better than others. Uh, episode two had some really janky effects. Uh, just kind of like oof, that that, that was that wasn't great. Uh, episode two again, I, I think because they kind of wrapped up everything from episode one, but there was so much to wrap up, it mm-hmm. felt just confusing and bloated. And I have no idea what the hell's going on. But I mean, it's 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 an entertaining show. I'm I'm sticking with it. I'm curious to see you know what what else they got up their sleeves. Again, I'm more interested in the what's the monster of the week this this week. I, I haven't read the book, but I've heard that the book is very episodic, which makes me happy. I think we need more episodic television out there. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. So the next HBO show I'm going to talk about that I started watching was one that as of recording this 
podcast. They premiered the first three episodes today, mm-hmm. which is Raised by Wolves. Uh, the, uh, androids are tasked with raising human children on a mysterious planet. So this one got my attention for a couple of reasons. One, uh, Ridley Scott is heavily involved. He's a, I believe he's an executive producer on the show, and he directed the first two episodes. Okay. Uh, I think all the episodes were written by the same guy also. And it, it, it also caught my attention because it's big, high-concept, weird sci-fi that's not based on anything. It's original sci-fi, and I'm always, you know, like, ooh, let's, let's, let's see what, you know, people can kind of pull out of their minds when they're not trying to adapt something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, first three episodes, I am hooked on this show. This is my shit. <laughs> This is your shit. <laughs> I was going to actually ask, does it kind of like harken back to a lot of the Prometheus and Alien Covenant kind of vibes? Oh, yeah. This definitely feels like modern day Ridley Scott. Um, okay. There's a lot of that. It's a, so the, the the whole idea from the show is that I guess Earth has been devastated by a war. Human beings are now on the brink of extinction. They were divided into two factions, the religious people and the atheists. And so the androids, so the, the, the main kind of group in this show so far is a, an android couple that uh, crash landed on some distant planet. We don't know who sent them or where they came from, but they had a bunch of, of frozen human embryos and they raised them as their own kids. And they raised them to be atheists and talk about, oh, we're only science minded and the religious people are the bad guys out there and you know they, they worship a fantasy. Don't want to listen to them. Uh, so, but what I like about this show is that coming, seeing that it's from Ridley Scott, this isn't surprising mm-hmm. that he was interested in this. I mean, I know he didn't write it, but he he's heavily involved. Uh, it's a very nuanced take on the topic of science and religion and uh, all this interesting stuff. And of course, you bring in androids, which is Ridley Scott's stuff, just mm-hmm. down to the core. And so it's it doesn't paint one group as the bad guys and one group as the good guys. You see a lot of the problems with, you know, the, the androids are very closed minded mm-hmm. and the religious people are obviously they're kind of, they're, they're, they're a little bit delusional in how they see the world, but they're not strictly, you know, the religious people, bad guys necessarily. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting in how it handles those topics with a lot of tact, a lot of nuance. And I, I really appreciate that. Um, it's also just really interesting and weird, and you know, one of the one of the androids is they call her a necromancer, where she can turn into this kind of weaponized form where she's floating around in the air, blowing people up with her screeching voice. Ooh, <laughs> really yeah. cool stuff. And it's like <laughs> war machine or something like that. Yeah, and uh, uh, one of the kids that they raise, so 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 these basically these androids suck at raising kids. In the first, in the first okay. episode, most of them die off, but one of them survives. And this kid, due to his experience, even though being raised in a very strictly atheist environment by these androids, he starts leaning towards wanting to know more about religion and learning how to pray and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then a group of religious people become involved, and one of the main, one of the characters of that group, kind of becomes a major character, and you learn about his past. So. You really get invested and interested in these characters. They all have interesting pasts, but it's not necessarily it, it, it doesn't feel bloated at all. Even though the, even though there's a lot of stuff going on, there's a lot of this world building to introduce. It's done in a way that's interesting, engaging, and I yeah, three episodes in, I am hooked. I am all in on this show. 
Nice. You know, I was actually kind of thinking, I think I know why Ridley Scott probably got into this um, and probably why he wanted to get his name on this. He's probably trying to rope it in somehow into his alien franchise. He's like, well, as long as you can get a xenomorph in there to, you know, just start laying eggs with the embryos and the kids, I'll be fine with it. He's dude, trying to make everything connected. Dude, the androids bleed milk, so I would not be surprised at all. I, I have a feeling that's leaning towards that. Everything's going to be connected in his alien universe. Last thing I'm going to talk about briefly here is uh, my obscure find of the week. Or not so obscure, depending on your taste in movies. Is No Escape from 1994, directed by Martin Campbell. A soldier convicted for murdering his commanding officer is dumped and left to die on a prison island inhabited by two camps of convicts. So this is uh, a, I, I went into this expecting it to be a prison escape movie. And it kind of is, but it's more of just a, it's a, um, almost like a post-apocalyptic tribal warfare movie. <laughs> okay, so there's people just basically just getting into tribal primitive, you know, warlike, you know, hunting each other, killing each other, setting up booby traps. Yeah, exactly. This, uh, so the idea behind this is that in the future, prisons are privatized and Ray Liotta is dumped in the middle of this island that this company is using as a prison. So it's, it's, it's I'm sorry. I'm sorry. When you said Ray Liotta, I already got a picture of now how this movie turned out. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Lance <laughs> Henriksen is in this. Um, yeah. It's, it's so he's running around this, this island and basically this island is a no rules, do whatever you want, but stay the hell on that island prison <laughs> kind of thing. Okay. So when he gets dumped on there, he, he gets involved with the different, you know, the people, the prisoners have divided themselves into different tribes. There's the, the one group led by Lance Hendrickson that have made this big fortified kind of little city, this little community of people. And they're defending themselves from the outsiders who are kind of the crazy, more ruthless people who want to break into the city and take over everything and rule the island. And Ray Liotta just wants to get the hell off the island. He, he is so efficient at like jumping headfirst into the stupidest plans like 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 early on the uh the warden before he gets to the island he's captured you know you know the warden is holding him and is trying to make him uh torture a guy as part of like oh yeah we're gonna make the prisoners torture each other for 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 fun i guess of course yeah okay ray leona is surrounded by armed guards takes the warden like at gunpoint and tries to get the hell out of there with this, you know, there's no way he can get out of this situation. Right. And as soon <laughs> He's as he going to go back to square one. As soon as he gets to the island, you know, this warlord says, Hey, I'm here. What are you going to do? And the guy, he just starts murdering people. Like Ray Liotta starts murdering people just right off the bat and tries to run. And so he just, you know, just jumps headlong into these crazy do or die kind of scenarios. He's a very desperate, dangerous guy in this movie. And then, I, I quite enjoyed this movie. It's a very entertaining movie. It's not, you know, an all-time classic or anything, but it's a it's 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 a fun time. If you can find it, find this. I think it might be on YouTube. Um, uh, if you can find it, it's not in great quality though. If you can find it on a DVD out there, uh, I would recommend checking out No Escape. You know, if this movie interests you. I think I have another recommendation for you. Penitentiary. I haven't heard of that one watch it i'm not going to tell you anymore you're just gonna to have to go find it because i think you might get a blast from this movie all right i'll add it on the list all right so should we just dive into this main topic for the evening yes yes 
All right, so let's let's take a dive into the world of paprika. scientists makes a breakthrough in being able to monitor and intervene other people's dreams using a device called the DC Mini. When the machine is stolen, all hell breaks loose as the line between dreams start to merge with the real world. Only a young female therapist named Paprika can stop. That's right. He's going to just do that every oh, like, time he sees that. Paprika! No. <laughs> just like Betty Fly. I wish I could roll my R. That sounds so much better. 110% better. Paprika. Paprika. Oh, jeez. Gosh. I'm not no. even going to try. No, just to stop butchering as soon as we can. Stop while I'm behind. All right. Uh, so, Nate, this was your pick a flick this week. Mm -hmm, it was. Uh, so, had, had you seen this before? Yeah. So, this was actually, I had seen this a while ago, um, back in my younger days, when I had heard that there was a connection with it in Inception. I watched it, and obviously, I watched it in the original Japanese dub. Um, and I saw it maybe two more times after that, one for this review. But every time I've watched it, it makes a little bit more sense. So, I think this was your first time watching it, guys, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. And actually, let me ask you have you guys ever seen another Satoshi Khan animated film? besides this one. He actually has only a few films under his belt with his name mm -hmm. tied to it as director. Uh, obviously, Perfect Blue, Millennium Actress, Tokyo Godfathers, and then one of the kind of short-lived anime shows, uh, Paranoia Agent. These were all like of his creation with his like signature touch on it. But yep. this is like the only one you guys have seen, right? Uh, yes, this is, the, this is the only one I've seen, yeah. Okay, uh, Joe? Yep, I've, I've, I haven't seen any of his, any of his other movies. So... Probably this is kind of the one movie that takes a lot of daring risks as far as like being a storytelling uh, movie that kind of dabbles in surrealism. Um, so what were your guys' takeaway thoughts on this? I'm kind of curious. I I really liked it, honestly. Mm -hmm. I thought it was really cool. It's I mean, very I, weird and it's got its very own like distinct voice, mm -hmm. but I enjoyed every minute of it, honestly. Yeah, I I really dug this movie. I'm sure that comparisons to another movie about dreams uh, will mm -hmm. come up in this conversation quite frequently. Of course. Oh, they will. They will. I'm so we'll we'll get into. I mean, I mean, I, I have a specific critique of Inception that I think Paprika fixes, and I'll get into when we talk about that more specifically later on. As far as this movie on its own, I mean, I I, I love the animation. It's a very beautiful looking movie. I, Doing a little bit of research, it, it appears that this was the la the director's last movie. Is that right? Does, it, does anybody know? 
Yes, actually, sadly, unfortunately, he was trying to work on a fifth film, um, which was actually kind of referenced in this documentary that I think all of us watched prior to this called A Dreaming Machine. Unfortunately, he passed away from cancer at the time. And um, it was like one of he was he had such a short career, but I think he left such a interesting body of work behind with just these four films. Mm -hmm. I think like anyone could pick up any one of them and see how relevant the themes and the topics are today like uh the one like perfect blue actually was only made in the 90s but you watch it today and it's even much more relevant today with our you know internet youtube and just like blog culture that we have yeah absolutely. it's it's kind of like he was like way beyond his time than most people and this movie is also just a testament of like it's kind of has its own signature touch but it just manages like you know it surpasses like even just like for being a 2006 animation it's like it could feel like it was done today yeah yeah this, this this movie definitely got me more interested in looking up this director's other movies especially perfect blue and tokyo godfathers so i'll probably get around to those sooner sooner or later sooner, hopefully sooner than later but mm -hmm. uh going into this movie just based on the first you know maybe 10 minutes or so i was surprised at how not confused I was considering how complicated the mechanics of this world are and all the all the characters. A lot of the times with with animes, uh, especially if I'm watching them uh, subbed, like I was for this one, I, I sometimes lose track of who is who because I'm you know my, my I'm trying to connect the names and the this, the subtitles to the characters, but everyone's talking so quickly and everyone everything's moving around. And in a movie like this specifically, there is so much going on visually and kind of in the story. There's, there's a lot of mechanics to it there's a lot of moving parts and but i was surprised at how well i was able to keep up with it at least as well as i think you could for this movie because there's a lot of yeah. weird shit that happens in this movie but i never felt lost and i i appreciated a, a movie that can do that i did i also kind of want to ask you guys something did it feel like we were kind of just immediately dropped into the story without kind of like a whole lot of setup it almost feels like we yes. kind of like we're watching an anime series and like oh we're in the middle of the show now Yes. Um, all this kind of like story before or even like the story that could follow after this movie it kind of feels like it belongs in an anime in fact actually the title sequence almost feels like a an anime title sequence yeah i it, it just drops you in immediately but like joe was saying it just it's surprisingly easy to pick up and mm -hmm. just move along with considering the subject material that that is going on mm -hmm. um there was like joe there's never really one point where i felt like wait, I need to pause, catch up, trying to remember who's who, what's going on, mm -hmm. this and that and whatnot. For me, yeah, it just, it picked up. It just started going and it was just a nonstop ride until, until the end. There was not really any, like, as far as I can remember, not really any like slow parts or like mm -hmm. parts where it's just like, you got to get through a bunch of dialogue because... They need to explain this or that. Mm -hmm. It was always something going on. You know, that is one thing actually I do want to talk about is the setup for this movie. It could be something that could be weighed down with a lot of explanation of how the device works. It mm -hmm. doesn't focus a lot on that. If you kind of guys notice, they kind of just try to set up, this is the DC Mini, this is how it works. And from there, they don't get so fixated on the science and being you know, consistent with that. I think as soon as they explain what this device does and how it's a setup for everything, everything else that follows is kind of more of just, you don't care if there's any like loopholes or any plot holes in it. It's like you're in for the ride. 
This little device is called the DC Mini. It's the scientific key that allows us to open the door to our dreams. Then captures them on a computer? It's a perfect dream machine. Actually, to tell the truth, the DC Mini hasn't been completed yet. Once it is complete, you'll be able to enter your dream even while you're wide awake. <sighs> Didn't you say he was a friend? Yeah, I did. We used to work together a few years ago. Why did he go after you and put you in a cage? I don't know. He's just not the kind of person who would execute that kind of trick. Why do they all look like me? That's really disturbing. Here you are as Tarzan, right? This looks like a scene from some spy thriller. And I have to admit the fighting was kind of fun. Any REM sleep that occurs later in the sleep cycle is a bit longer and much easier to analyze. If we were to compare dreams to films, the earlier cycles would be artsy film shorts. A later cycle would be a full-length feature. Well, then I guess that would make you... Hmm, my own discovery, a movie starlet. You're upset. Guess movies aren't your thing. No, it's not. I that. think for me, what that kind of just proves then is I think Satoshi Khan is less about focused on the continuity of things and really just wants you to experience something. Yeah, I can agree with that. Um, I mean, they do, they don't really explain the DC Mini just with dialogue. It's it's more shown to you rather mm -hmm. than just explained and you have, you have characters talking about how it works. Mm -hmm. um, it's mostly just, I mean, the opening sequence is kind of just showing you how it how it goes along there you know there may be some more questions on exactly like how one person can use one of the devices and connect with other people even though they're not mm -hmm. sleeping and all that kind of stuff sure that could might require some explanation but as a whole it just gives you enough to go off of enough for you to understand and get the gist of it and then it just keeps and then just propels you from there no, it's so true. And I think also what helps with telling the story is that each character is so distinct in their character design. Like there's no mm -hmm. one that you can confuse for somebody else. Absolutely. You know, Dr. Chiba is the female doctor. You know, the detective is the detective because yeah. he has the mustache and he has the gun. You, you know, the, the main doctor, uh, Tokita, is the fat scientist who just looks like a giant Buddha. And, you know, the chairman <laughs> is uh, a guy in a wheelchair. Yeah. Which was funny. Yeah, the chairman's literally in a chair. <laughs> it was one of my dumb notes when watching it, yeah. Um, let me ask you. Mm -hmm. This animation, it kind of does catch you guys off guard. And that kind of comes with um, Satoshi Khan's style. Like how he tries to draw so realistic. Like he doesn't try to imitate a lot of just anime forms of styles of just uh, design for people and those yeah. face proportions. He tries to capture like how they would actually look in real life. Mm -hmm. But I think then for something like this, when it starts dabbling between the fine line of dream and reality, like there's some weird shit that just comes out of nowhere. For sure. Dude, this yeah. the opening to this movie, I uh, I really didn't know what I was in for. I, I, I actually knew pretty much nothing going into this movie. I didn't even know that it was about dreams. Mm -hmm. So when the opening happened with that whole circus act going on, mm -hmm. I was like, what the hell is going on? I, I like... Like, I, am, am I high? I haven't, I'm not on anything, but I feel like I am. I remember you were actually texting me, like, as you're watching, it's like, I'm only five minutes in. I don't know what the heck I'm watching. <laughs> um, but even more than that, I think, like, as it tries to keep you grounded in reality, one of the things about this movie I love is 
you'd never know if you're fully back into reality. Even if it sets up like they're going to an office building, they're talking with the chairman, suddenly something will change in the way that some person's talking, like Dr. Shima, uh, the old guy, who just suddenly starts talking about this fantastical parade for no reason whatsoever in the middle of their office meeting. And you're like, what is going on? Oh, yeah. There's a great scene later on in the movie where some characters think that they've woken up from a dream and they're just walking around. And all of a sudden they bump into like this giant, I don't know, baby doll or not even baby doll, but this this, this giant doll that's been walking around. Uh Yep. It's just like staring right at the window and you're like, what the heck? And the characters have this, oh shit moment where they realize that they haven't woken up yet. And it's it's just, Mm -hmm. usually that kind of stuff annoys me, especially, you you know, going into this movie, having seen Inception, which came out after this movie. I kept on thinking like, oh no, they're going to play the thing where are they in the dream or are they not? Uh, thankfully, uh, without going into specifics, at the end of the movie, they don't leave it up in the air of like, well, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. You know definitively whether they are or aren't in a dream by the end of the mm-hmm. movie, which I, I appreciated some some actual closure there. But no, yeah, I, I think this movie dealt with that kind of stuff really well. It did. Yeah, it definitely, and for such a short movie, it's only like about 90 minutes long, but it's able to kind of like wrap itself up like as much complexity as it goes through. It gets like, it kind of like wraps itself up very nicely at the end. But yeah, let's actually dive a little bit into actually Satoshi Kon's style. Um, So this is a guy for about a good like 20 years. He's dabbled in both anime, manga, worked on some series with other collaborators. He's actually had the chance to work on with the same creator of Ghost in a Shell on several projects. Um, And even just like for four films, he's had a chance to really define his style. And, you know, there's some takeaways I got from just like watching it that he's had a chance of actually filming quite a few of his stuff as live action. He was given a budget, but he always decided to pick animation. And there is a couple of videos out there. I think there's this one by um, Every Frame of Painting that talks about his use of editing in animation, which I think mm-hmm. kind of, you see it in this and it works so efficiently well from the opening dream sequence to just later moments when, you know, a surprise, you know, cut happens and you're not expecting it, but it makes it entertaining to watch. Yeah, it's like a bunch of, um, I, I watched that video as well. Um, I can't remember exactly which other type of editing styles he used but it was like it it specifically highlighted like match cuts and whatnot and Mm -hmm. that was something that he's used um throughout his career yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i think actually in the that same video he has admitted um while working on paprika like one of the editing styles that he actually not even just uh paprika but also just for millennium actress that he uses is a, a similar editing style was that was from um 1970s version of slaughterhouse five where there's like match cuts that span to different timelines and different like um settings and how it the way it's edited it still flows even though you're jumping back and forth between different worlds it's like this is a similar style that he's applied to his animation and i think i love that part of it yeah it works really well with the context of millennium actress from again haven't seen the movie of haven't seen the actual movie but from what little I've heard of it, it works really well in that like Slaughterhouse Five jumps between timelines a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only read the book, haven't seen the actual movie, but I assume it's the same. And then with Millennium Actress, you know, it's from what I understand, it's kind of going back and reliving a older actress's like um, life throughout or different moments throughout her life. And so right. match cuts 
jumping time and whatnot fit perfectly mm-hmm. in that kind of like context. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think for something like this, especially with the, um, the context of uh, paprika, it lends itself with trying to capture that level of surrealism mm-hmm. where you don't know if you're back in the real world or if you're still in the dream. And yeah. it's just that editing choice that just keeps it so engaging. The yeah. the animation was a, I I was surprised also at the creativity of mm-hmm. how some of the animation was done. There there was a moment in the movie where within the dream world a character presses his hands into another character's skin and the way it moves oh, up oh, it's yeah. the Gosh. creepiest thing. Like I feel like I could feel what that feels like, even though there's no way in hell that yeah, he, you could I be experiencing like- that. Honestly, if I could compare it to Satoshi Khan, like to a, a Renaissance painter, he's like the Caravaggio of anime world. Like he gets very detailed with just that kind of stuff. And I know what scene you're talking about. And that is such an un- uncomfortable scene. Yeah, it was so weird. <laughs> and that's actually another thing I do like about um, Satoshi Khan's style. He is not afraid to get really ugly even like for watching something like paprika it's so beautiful to watch like the colors and just the composition and just how people are drawn he will throw Mm -hmm. moments in there that make you literally like crawl like i don't want to watch this but i'm too infested to turn away sir true satisfaction that's what discipline brings even the five court ladies dancing to frog flutes and drums had it and so did the whirlwind of recycled paper computer graphics playing in my head and i like it I don't support Technicolor parfaits and those snobby little petty fours that sit there uneaten. And my position on that is common knowledge to everyone in Oceania. Now the time has come to return home to the great blue sky! Where confetti falls like stardust and everything's shaking around the shrine gates with the mailbox and the refrigerator leading the hip-hop festival! Anyone who is concerned about expiration dates, step aside now! No one gets in the way of my glory train! They need to really analyze all the livers of the Triangle Goose Party. Ah, this whole festival was put together by 23rd graders with lots of chutzpah and one panda. You see, now I am truly grand, the ultimate one. (laughs) Shine, shine. Take me, take me now. Funny thing about this movie in particular. So if anyone's not familiar, this is actually adapted from a book from mm-hmm. uh, yep. an author called, uh, you're going to have to help me with this, Alex, uh, Yasutaka Tsutsui-sum. Uh, Yasutaka Tsutsui. Is it a manga or an actual just like like a normal book book? It's, it's actually an actual novel. Um, okay. This yeah. author is actually, um, he's kind of like uh, one of the masters of a certain uh, Japanese uh, writing form called avant-garde style. So it's kind of similar, like with Paprika, it dabbles back and forth between surrealism and reality. Um, interestingly enough, too, when he after he finished the novel, he wanted to adapt it into a film. And originally, he tried to adapt it into a live-action film. But mm-hmm. with how the story works, with all the dream sequences and all that crazy stuff, the budget for a live-action was just going to be too massive. And yeah. trying to under undertake that, like, I guess not only like technical aspect of trying to adapt that, but just while also working and keeping it, you know, true to the novel, it proved to be too much. So after that plan fell through, um, Sui actually approached um, Satoshi Khan and mm-hmm. asked him specifically to to adapt it, which was kind of cool. 
Yeah. And honestly, the process that Satoshi Khan usually mm-hmm. does with these is he will first write with the script, with the dialogue in mind, and then create the visuals behind that. He took a different approach with this, where he started strictly with the visuals and then built a script around that. Because then I think I was talking about um, in this documentary, he had to draw like, I forget how many different panels of just like storyboards for this. But like, oh, yeah. If you just like look at the movie itself, it's a visual treat to just like watch how one visual segues into the other, segues into the other. And that's also part of his animation style as well. He's admitted like sometimes he'll go off script where he wasn't intending a visual to be here. But at the time, he just had to let his like gut instinct go with it and just draw it. Um, and I think for me, that just makes a better film. Agreed. Yeah. I noticed too how the, how the scenes flowed together really well, especially in transitioning between scenes from the dream world and the real world. There's a scene where a character is in the dream world and another character is outside in the real world monitoring them. Mm-hmm. And the way that they connect together, how the character from the outside world contacts the person inside the dream world, I thought it was really mm-hmm. clever the way they did that with the, 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 you know, he's talking into a computer and all of a sudden you'll see him as like a cloud or a, a sign in the, in the world. Exactly, yeah. yep. Yeah. Um, and that was actually something I think, uh, even just this kind of style of surrealism, there's a quote I actually wanted to um, quote from uh, Andre Brenton, who's kind of like this French uh, surrealist writer who explored the levels of surrealism. It's called The Absence of Any Known Restrictions Allows the Perspective of Several Lives Lived at Once. What he's kind of saying is when you kind of like toss out the limitations of your world or the restrictions that, that world allows, it gives you a perspective of thinking outside the box. And that is what you see a lot in this film with Satoshi Khan trying to think, okay, I have this doctor who's trying to communicate with her in her dream. What's a visual that I could have her like look to? It could be a cloud. It could be a doll. It could be a leaf or some tree branches. It's like he just uses everything in his environment to be like, this is like the way they communicate. I, I, I have got to say, if I've got a, a criticism about the movie, mm-hmm. is that when it comes to the ending specifically again without going into uh, details i did feel like it was kind of a i mean not a deus ex machina but because they had set up that anything can happen in this world which which is fair that the ending just kind of came out of like oh okay now we'll just do this random visually very creative thing and that Mm -hmm. will uh end the movie there everything Mm -hmm. is resolved in the the end there i mean but it's really kind of a, a light criticism because visually mm-hmm. it fit in. I, I think thematically it fit in too. It just kind yeah. of felt like it was one of those things where, well, we'll write any 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 rules we want to because there are very kind of loosey-goosey rules just to complete things. And and then and then also the the relationship between paprika and a character in the real world. I did not understand that at first. It took me almost till the end of the movie to realize that I thought that Paprika and this other character were two different characters. When in reality, mm-hmm. they were the same person. And it took me like most yeah. of the movie to figure that out. No, and I think like I know what scene you're talking about because when that reveal is happening, it's, I think that's another thing with Satoshi Khan, what he deals a lot with the stories he deals with is this kind of sense of identity and that split personality. When you're living two different worlds, you kind of like have that split psychosis going on. Um, and it's kind of similar with these two characters as well. You kind of see that. Uh, but I think I know what you're talking about when you're saying the ending kind of feels like, it kind of does feel like a deus ex machina at the end. And Satoshi Khan has admitted 
with this writing process, the ending was something he was struggling with. The author did give him a lot of carte blanche to just like, you know what, do what you need to do to tell the story and adapting it. But because he was going off so much of the visuals and not necessarily think of the plot too much, he couldn't find a strong enough way of just wrapping this all up. But I think for me, it does wrap up very nicely. I think it comes a little bit unexpected, but I think it when it, what it's trying to say, it does say very well. Oh yeah, it, it, it wraps up nicely. Um, mm-hmm. I just remember watching it in the moment, I was just kind of like, well, how are they going to get out of this? Oh, this thing happens out of the blue. Okay, I, I'll, I'll go along with it, I guess. Which by then, you know, if you're going to see giant dolls and, <laughs> you know, furniture talking, guys having tree legs, it's like, yeah, you expect anything. Yeah. Um, Joe, you brought this up. There was a one scene in this movie that there's a line that was crossed. And it's like, okay, now this got uncomfortable. Do you think this movie also crosses the line anywhere else in a lot of the themes it's exploring? Uh, I, I mean, I mean, I, I didn't think anything necessarily specific. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Was there a certain scene you had in mind specifically? I mean, I think just like the this kind of world of just like you're not sure what is dream and what is real and just how this piece of technology is trying to be used as a way of just helping people with their psychoanalysis or just interpreting their dreams. I will say this movie has plenty of nightmare fuel in it. Oh, shit, yes, lots of nightmare fuel. But the chairman also, interesting enough, he's kind of like the one who's kind of against the whole DC Mini and the ability to control dreams. He kind of admits like it's a sanctuary from the rest of the world and no one should Mm -hmm. have that tampering with it or trying to control it. Because you do see people when the DC Mini is kind of like, getting out of control when someone is hacking into other people's dreams or sharing the same dream, you have no idea who's going to be affected. Like you'll have doctors who will suddenly start marching in this imaginary parade and knocking over people and jumping out of windows. And you're like, what the hell? Um, and so I think that was a line that it crossed for me. It's like this idea of technology can get to a point where you could be controlled on that kind of level. Dreams are destroyed by technological tampering. Someone needs to be accountable. Science goes too far when it forgets one's soul. So then, you're punishing Dr. Tokita. In a world of inhumane reality, there is actually only one humane sanctuary left, Doctor, and that can be found in the comfort of a simple dream. That parade you saw is full of refugees who were unwillingly chased out of reality but you're collecting them with stolen technology. Are you planning to take over the whole world of dreams? I am merely protecting them, for I am the only true guardian of all dreams. My duty is to mete out justice to terrorists like you, Paprika. And it's kind of like, it is a question that it does ask. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, at what point do we uh, manipulate it so much, or how much do we live in that world of escapism? to the point where we need to be kind of like separate the two. And I think there's a, the conclusion the movie comes to is very nice and it kind of makes a nice little point about that. Yeah. I mean, um, I guess kind of spoilers that chairman is a un, kind of an understandable villain mm-hmm. in that not so much his um, idea to take over everyone's dreams and take over the world and, you know, all that kind of stuff and bring the, and essentially make dreams reality. But in just him talking about, like I mentioned, you know, 
dream as being the last sanctuary uh, from science. Um, it it's, does a good job of kind of helping you understand maybe where he's coming from. And he, do, he doesn't make, you know, he's not some crazy, insane scientist. He makes good points. And you're right, there, there does need to be that kind of balance between everything going on in the reality and everything that you need to do and whatnot and science and all. And, but you, it's not bad to have a bit of escapism, whether that be through movies, like, mm-hmm. you know, Paprika really kind of suggests and throws out there or, you know, different other stuff. Um, but it's all about finding that balance between the two and for each one of you know, each person is going to be a bit different and kind of just that journey to figure out, you know where that line is between fully delving into just escapism and having that become your reality. So, Alex, what you're saying is you're going to give up your entire anime and manga collection and dump all your online games. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Hell no, I'm not giving up. No way. No way. No way. We will. We'll change the name of this podcast to the Alex Podcast. If you do. It's not good. Not 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 enough. No, I'm good. You put so much investment into a new mic now. I might as well. Yeah, I've, but I've put like way more investment into into games. I, I will build a PC to play Destiny. I know. I, I will say, as far as the villain goes, I, I, I'm hearing what you guys are saying about him. I that was another point of contention for me, where I was a little confused as to his motivations. What his deal was because at first it sounded like he wanted mm. to be he was you know anti controlling dreams which would make sense that he would want to sabotage it but then at the end he's almost kind of gets power hungry i get like i wasn't quite sure what he was trying to do he wants to take over the world with this thing uh, yeah i wasn't really i to be to be honest yeah i wasn't really following along with that specifically as as what as much either um it cuz yeah he was he was completely seemed to be at least completely against the idea of the DC mini and, you know, messing with other people's dreams. And then he literally just messes with everyone's reality mm-hmm. and everyone's dreams. So I didn't under entirely understand that kind of conflict there. I mean, I actually, I could probably give some two cents on this. I saw, t- uh, you know, two different extremes, which the, the story was providing. Um, on one end, you have uh, Tokita, the scientist who wants to share this technology and the ability to share dreams and actually have that kind of freedom to do that um, with no limitations. And then there's the chairman who just wants to control and put a cap on exactly what you can tie into and what you can see into, even if that means he has to control everybody in the process of it. It's kind of like in order to control things to make sure it doesn't get out of hand, you have to control everyone and police everybody. So maybe that was like what the two different sides of the story was trying to present. Yeah, or it could have been just like either we have, either we don't touch this at all, or someone or, has to control all of it. Yeah, or or we just fully go into it and yeah, everything's a dream. So now here comes the big question: What does this movie do better that Exception tries to do? Just about everything. You think so? <laughs> No, I I like Inception. Sure, it's a great movie and it's awesome, mm-hmm. and the visuals are cool because it's it's awesome to see that kind of like insane stuff sort of happening mm-hmm. uh, in live action. But I like 
I think I like Paprika a little bit more, and I may be a bit biased just because I do watch a lot of anime and whatnot, but um, I like that they are able to go just even further beyond mm-hmm. um, and just show the stuff that you might, you're probably not able to fully do in live action or at least do, you know, do justice to it. Um, so, f- yeah, for me, I do like paprika more i think it does a little bit i think it kind of gets to its point a little bit better than than um than inception does mm-hmm. inception seemed a little bit more just kind of like just entertainment i guess i don't really know how how to really f- fully put that into words because it's been years and years since i've seen since i've seen the movie but yeah yeah one um, of the things i was actually going to kind of write on this is like inception focused more on just the espionage heist aspect of like dream sharing yeah which you know paprika kind of if you think about it is it is kind of like a detective story oh yeah and they're using dreams as a way of just like we're going to find out who stole it and where it's going and you know who is this paprika character but the thing is it doesn't get so hooked up in the genre of itself. Mm-hmm. It kind of does at the heart of it. There is a story. There is a bit of growth that comes from it. Whereas I don't think in Inception there's any growth. After I'm going to say this right now. I love Chris Nolan as a man, but I think uh, Inception is kind of weak as it comes to a character-driven story. It's much more built around the concept of the dream sharing. Well, a lot, yeah. of, a lot of his movies are like that, though, I would, I would, I would say. I mean, not, not all of them. For sure, yeah. but I would say that Christopher Nolan, as far as a filmmaker, is a much better kind of an in a uh, he's a guy that comes up with the, with really cool ideas and crafts them into really cool movies. But mm-hmm. character building isn't one of his strong suits. I would say something like you know maybe Batman Begins is an exception, or, Mem- mm-hmm. or Mem- yeah. Memento, or even The Prestige. Yeah. I think The Prestige actually does get into some good character development on that yeah. end. I could agree with that. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah, the prestige definitely delves into that a bit. Um, but I think, yeah, um, Paprika just has a bit more stronger, or it just doesn't. It doesn't rely from for me at least. It doesn't rely as heavily on the um, spectacle of the dreams. It's, it's a lot. I mean, of course, that's a huge focus of the movie, mm-hmm. and one of the huge draws of the movie is all the nonsensical stuff in the dreams as well. But I feel like it doesn't it doesn't use that as the kind of like only way to really pull you in. It mm-hmm. does delve, like you mentioned, into into a lot more it has a lot more character mm-hmm. driven um like plot and whatnot mm-hmm. as I feel like as compared to Inception. Mm-hmm. I think if anything, the the big thing that I just took away from this is like there is a balance between the two. I think somehow uh Paprika just finds that right balance of enough character, enough spectacle. And that's an interesting thing the movie struggles with is it, this idea of like, what's the balance between reality and fantasy, escapism versus you no know, human connection. That's me kind of tossing Inception out the window saying Paprika is a better movie. <laughs> so I, I, I love Inception. I will say the one criticism I've always had of it, which hasn't been a big criticism, is that it's kind of unimaginative for a movie about dreams because yes it's it's grounded in, in nolan's style which 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 makes sense and also nolan likes to ground his effects in realism and even mm-hmm. when you're doing crazy things like a train driving down the middle of the road 
uh, it's still a train driving down the middle of the road in a very realistic looking setting. And, you know, a room is rotating. Well, okay, that's that's cool. But, do mm -hmm. the, you know, do the room's walls like turn into, I don't know, puddles? <laughs> Something yeah. like that. Yeah, uh, Pa paprika i think is the idealized version of that it is it, it, it takes the concept of dreams and puts it into a kind of a thriller it you know characters jumping into dreams merging dreams multiple characters in the same dream but mm -hmm. it does the batshit crazy stuff that inception couldn't do it has imagination it has scope it says all right mm -hmm. we have a parade of furniture and dolls and all this crazy stuff in the middle of the desert or you mm -hmm. know you can jump into tv screens and you mm -hmm. know just, just all the wildest shit you can imagine and mm -hmm. i really appreciated that about paprika yeah and i think going back to real quick i i think kind of going back to what i was talking about with the author for paprika originally wanting to adapt it as a live action i think it's just the live action limitations mm -hmm. with, with with an with animation you're allowed um, a lot more freedom mm -hmm. into what you want to show. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that the problems with Inception, that those problems with Inception might just be, can be chalked up to the fact that it's live action and you're only able to do so much. There's, I think there's more that it could have done to really kind of get into the aspect of dreams, just kind of being nonsensical. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, with animation, you're, you're literally allowed to just run free. Yeah. No, and I think that's why Satoshi Kon was probably the best person to tackle this project. Um, I think this is just like from his career, he was able to get to this point where he had proven many, many times that this is something he was capable of doing. And you're right. It does make itself stand out a lot more as a timeless piece of animation, you know, because it does do that with uh, having these weird objects in a place where it's like you think it should be grounded in reality. Um and yeah, I think also another thing, like I mentioned, it doesn't get so wrapped up in the science of this. I think Inception, one of the problems with Inception is it relies too much on the science of the dream sharing for it to capture interest or work. And it gets kind of too caught up in that. Yeah, a bit, I guess. Um, I it, mean, it gets into the logistics, certainly. Yeah, too much yeah. so. I think too much to the point where you actually start noticing the plot holes. It's like, well, wait. With Paprika, it there's lots of plot holes. You can find like any reasons oh, like sure. if, the, if the device didn't work, and then it's like, but you're you don't care about that. It kind of explains this is how it works. This is the gateway into this. After that, it's up for interpretation. Yeah, it gives you enough information to go off of, but not too much where you're starting to question exactly how it works if you there is a bit of um you do have to kind of a bit of suspension of disbelief or however you exactly say that but you do have to kind of just let it have its own way and just go along with it without really trying to you know find the plot holes where with inception it fully kind of it tries to explain it all a bit at least um so it gives you the option of trying to figure out exactly kind of like where it went wrong with paprika yeah it just it's enough information for you to follow the story and then it just runs wild with it and just kind of takes its own takes its own course yeah yeah i i, I could get that cool all right well i guess all of us are consensus we love paprika yes 
and Inception is garbage. Well, we just realized <laughs> Christopher Nolan is a hack. He's a complete hack. There's yes. No, no I, I. He is. I've got to say, I, when I realized where Paprika was going, I, I kind of hit a moment where I was like, wait, has Christopher Nolan seen this movie? Because this is, this is kind of crazy. <laughs> I'm he, He's got to, right? Like, absolutely. I mean, he probably, you know, he's kind of admitted, well, I was dreaming this idea and maybe, I don't know, he had the DC Mini already and he had the only <laughs> copy. So he was just stealing from Satoshi Kon's mind. I mean, there are other directors that have that have uh, stolen yeah. is maybe the wrong word, but uh, been inspired by uh, Darren um, Aronofsky. Exactly uh, where I was yeah. going. Yep, with like Rec Room for a Dream and then Black, uh, Swan. Black Swan. Yeah, you can see yep. a lot of similarities with uh, Perfect Blue. So yeah, and not even just in theme, but just like exact shots as well, which mm-hmm. is kind of cool. No, it kind of just shows that Satoshi Kon has left a huge cultural impact on just a lot of innovative directors who just, they see like, wow, this guy nailed it. And I want to pay mm-hmm. homage to that. Some people would call it hacking, but as Tarantino would say, you know, it's not really stealing if nobody knows it's stealing. But but we know. <laughs> we do know. Uh, all right. So I guess uh, overall final thoughts before we wrap up. Yeah, I, I I quite enjoyed this movie. Um, it's not. I mean, it's 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 up there with 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 the with great animes that I've seen. Uh, it's not. I mean, it reminded me kind of a kind of the go to mainstream anime director everyone wants to talk about is Miyazaki. And this, there were a few moments where I thought like, oh, this looks kind of like a Miyazaki esque thing, just in the creativity of the uh, the animation, all of the stories, not remotely his sort of thing, but I. I I mean it's it's up there with it's up there with some some of the great animes. Not one of my favorites, but I greatly enjoyed it. So yeah, I I, I love this movie. It's a it's a really good time, and it's surprisingly easy to follow for it's all the the crazy dream bending stuff it does. Nice, uh, Alex. Yeah, I, I I also really enjoyed it. Um, it's the first Satoshi Kon movie that I've seen, but it just makes me much much more interested in checking out um all of his other work um so yeah it's like joe saying it's easy to follow along with um but there's a lot of like little things that you can get into um i watched this like two days in a row and even on the second viewing i wasn't at all bored it was still incredibly enjoyable to watch i was still picking up on maybe little things here and there that i had might not have noticed and it's there's a lot packed into it but if you don't want to fully just dive in it's can it, it can be just something that's a really nice like and really nice and fun casual watch honestly so yeah I, I i really really enjoyed it it's just it's just incredibly good with the visuals the editing style the music is always um you know very fun and, and complements the movie really well um the story is fascinating even the subplot with the um detective is actually part of one of my favorite things about the movie in general but just all these little things kind of come together and i think it worked out really really quite well nice yeah no i think for me this is my third time watching this movie and i think every time i've watched it i've gotten something new out of it um you know everything from just this idea of like you know, everyone's striving for a connection with something, whether it's through technology, whether it's through this idea of dream sharing, which, you know, what the DC Mini is trying to do. 
um, to the idea of like what Satoshi Khan is able to just provide and is like this, you know, world where it's like dreams and reality are meshing together into kind of like a very beautiful, but terrifying experience. And I don't know, I think as far as any movie out there that exists, that looks at this in the way it's edited, the way it's structured, the way it's composed as an entertaining, but insightful story, this movie is kind of up there. So, you know, kudos to Satoshi Khan, you know, God rest his soul, but he left behind, oh, I think a last great masterpiece. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, that will wrap up this episode of the Film Illiterates podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Film Illiterates. Uh, Nate, where can people find you? Well, you can find me here at Film Illiterates. I do the podcast with these guys. Maybe a video or two, probably every, I don't know, three years or so. Something like that. Something like that. I think that's our track record for now. Uh, But I'm going to also be trying to get some stuff off of the ground on my YouTube channel. So um, once that's ready, I'll announce that. But also just uh, follow me on Instagram at uh, Nathan underscore Stone underscore Films. Or you can follow me on Letterboxd and see what I've watched at Ivan Claysburg. Alex? As always, uh, you can find me on FilmAlerts.com with our old videos um, as well as the podcasts here. Um, if you're interested in what I'm watching as far as anime, you can find me on Anime List um, uh, under Half Scrim. I'm also under the same name on Letterboxd. And if you want to check out what I've been listening to recently, um, I am also on Rate Your Music, also under the same name. And then Twitter, if you want to. I It's kind of a joke that I shill my Twitter when I don't really use it or post <laughs> anything. But if you really want to, at Alex D. Patton. And you can find my letterbox uh, profile, my, my movie watching habits at film underscore illiterate. We're also on Facebook at film illiterates, although uh, I post there even less than I post on Twitter, which isn't very much. Uh, with that, go out, go watch some, some, or don't go out, stay in and watch some movies. Yeah, don't what? go out. Don't. No. Yeah, why, no. why? Come on. Stay inside. Like- Movie theaters are finally open up, guys. Uh, stay and stream Mulan for thirty dollars if, if oh, you no. have that in your back pocket. Comes oh out gosh. tomorrow as of this recording. Uh, keep watching movies and keep it easy. 